0: this morning we continue on into 1st corinthians chapter 10 and paul has been on a long argument regarding how to handle one's christian liberty and he has jumped off of that argument a little bit to consider his own apostolic calling but but i shouldn't say jumped off the argument because he was using himself as an example paul showed his own uh, demonstration of giving up privilege for the sake of Uh, of the flock. Well, this morning, uh, we have a beautiful and challenging text. Mark read it as our New Testament reading this morning. And it begins with these words, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. Now, it seems like if the Corinthians have been anything throughout this letter, they're unaware. I mean, every, every time he goes, Don't you know? Don't you know? Haven't you learned? So Paul has been challenging them in their lack of awareness. But Here again, he is, he's starting to bring an argument home and he's wanting to remind them of the severity of the issue at hand. These things matter. He's already spoken in pretty high terms. Hey, brothers, be careful about how you use your liberty. It may destroy a brother. You don't want to do that. So he's spoken of the, he's elevated the argument here. But here now he turns and gives the Corinthians a warning. And it's a warning that we need to hear. And to give this warning, he points back to the Old Testament to our brothers and sisters, our fathers, as he'll say in the Old Testament. I want us to think about this this morning. First, the identification that we have with our Old Testament fathers, and then the warning that comes from it, and then the exhortation. So three things are going to happen here. First, he's going to he's going to say, hey, their story is our story. So we stand with them. Therefore, we can look at them and see what happened to them and be warned by it and then hear the exhortation. So the identification, the uh, warning, and then the exhortation. So first, the identification. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers— Now remember, he's speaking to Gentiles, but he's about to be speaking about the Old Testament and he joins us all together. These in the Old Testament are our fathers. Their story is our story. It's not like, well, that was the Jews, but now we're the Gentiles. Oh, that was Old Testament, but now we're New Testament. No, what Paul is doing here, even in the New Covenant, is making a link between the Old Testament fathers and us. Those are our fathers there. The patriarchs are our patriarchs. That That is to say that Paul, and, and again, we could go to other texts. We spent some time in Galatians 3 and 4 a, a few weeks ago. Go back and look at that. Paul is making that argument. Abraham is your father if you have the faith of Abraham. It's not about genealogy. The, 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 the fatherhood of the patriarchs in the Old Covenant is not one of genetics. It's not one of ethnicity. That was the mistake the Jews were making. But John the Baptist told the Jews as much at the Jordan when he was baptizing them. He says, Don't think, don't say to yourself, well, we have Abraham as our father. God can raise up Abraham, uh, sons to Abraham out of these stones. It's it the sons of Abraham is not a, a, a something that you get ethnically. You just have by birth. You might think it. But the biblical way to think about being a son or daughter of Abraham is that you share the faith of Abraham. And if so, these fathers are our fathers. So that's the first, first thing to think about in terms of this identification. This is our story. But now Paul goes beyond that to say, and notice that they were in the same situation as you are, just an Old Testament version of it. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now, no one in the Old Testament called what was happening their baptism. But this is the Apostle Paul who is connecting something for us. Do you see what happened to Israel in the Red Sea? Yes, that was their baptism. Your baptism and what happened there, the same thing is going on. Just the Red Sea is sort of baptism in advance. It's looking forward to baptism. It's looking forward to something, and your baptisms look back to something, and so they look different. But essentially, you can think of your baptism the way that Israel thought about going through the Red Sea. Now, I just, I just wonder, do you think about your baptisms that way? When we think about what baptism, this is a, this is an issue for us, I think, as evangelicals who have kind of grown up hearing that the sacraments, particularly baptism, is an outward expression of an inward faith. That that I hear that a lot, and that comes out of a out of ba- the baptistic tradition. That baptism is an outward expression of an inward faith, hence, that's why you don't baptize babies. That baptism is me making public profession. Phyllis and joining the church, what she just did up here was make public profession about her trust in Jesus Christ. That was what the first three questions were about. You know, do you recognize you're a sinner? Yes. Do you recognize Jesus Christ as your only hope of salvation? Yeah, that's her making public profession. And in many Baptist churches, that's what baptism is. Baptism is you saying to the world, I am a follower of Jesus. Look, I'm going into the water. And I'm not denying that that is in part what baptism is. But that's not necessarily what Paul is saying here. Something else is happening. You're, when you go into the water or the water is poured over you, It's like Israel going through the Red Sea. Well, what was that about? What what was it? It, Okay, there's water there, but boy, it doesn't look anything like baptism. What is happening there? Well, it's worth thinking what the water represents. What was the water in the Red Sea? It it actually proved to be judgment water, it was deliverance water and judgment water at the same time. The water was so. Split so that Israel could go through it but when the water came together it crushed the Egyptians. It was judgment water that God split open so that Israel could pass safely through it. And Paul is making this connection with you and your baptism. Do you think of your baptism that way? That what we have in baptism is a reminder just like the only reason Israel survived the Red Sea is they were baptized into Moses and I'm putting baptized in air quotes, they followed Moses. Moses was leading them. Pharaoh was leading them. Who will you follow? If you follow Moses, the judgment waters split and you pass safely through into a new creation. Do you follow Pharaoh? The judgment waters crush you and your body washes up on the shore. Choose this day who you will follow. And they were baptized, air quotes, into Moses meant they followed Moses through the waters of judgment and hence were able to come out the other side. This is what your baptisms are. The water with which you are baptized is judgment water. You go down into death and back out into new life. I mean, think about the imagery, and we're going to see the same thing with the Lord's Supper. What are you going to eat and drink today? Death. Judgment. Baptism is saying that I am following Christ, my greater Moses, and as such, he's going to lead me through. This is the only judgment I will have to bear, water on my head. Because Christ has borne the judgment of the Red Sea. He has borne the judgment of those waters. I, following him, can pass safely through. This is the judgment I get. Because Jesus has borne the crushing blow of the Red Sea. They were baptized into Moses and he's telling the Corinthians just like you are baptized into Christ. I know you don't think of the Red Sea as a baptism, but Paul is interpreting it that way for us. That's what was happening. They were united to Moses and as such, they passed through the waters of judgment on their way to the promised land. Just like your baptism is at the front end of your salvation, right? You pass through it having been converted. You are baptized. You you have this symbolic passing through the waters, and now on your way to the promised land, where you will come to the ultimate waters at the end, the Jordan, where God splits those for Israel, and then they walk in. And the, and, and their baptism in the Red Sea, if you will, was, was like a foreshadowing of the splitting of the Jordan that would let them go in finally to the land of milk and honey, just like your baptisms represent your a death of, of sorts. And when you do die, death will be ripped open for you, and you will walk right through into new creation. So he's telling the, he's telling the Corinthians, look at them. I know you're baptized. Hey, they were baptized as well. And they ate the same spiritual food. Today, in God's providence, you will eat the spiritual food that Paul was talking about. You will eat the spiritual meal, the, 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 the sacramental body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's saying, yeah, they did as well they ate the same spiritual food and they drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. So Israel gets out through the Red Sea and they get the food that God provides for them and the drink. They get manna from heaven, spiritual food, gift from God food that sustains them. And they get water from the rock that we read of in in Exodus uh, 17, right? The rock that is struck for them, right? Remember that beautiful story we preached on it before, but they're grumbling about not having water. And Moses says, what do you want me to do to these people? He's at his wit's end. He's ready just to bring down the fire like James and John, the sons of thunder. Like, just let me smoke these people and let's get on with it. And God says, no, 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 I'll tell you what I'll do. Come with me. And here, the the people of God, that the Israelites deserve to be struck and Moses is even asking God to do it. And instead of striking the people of Israel, God brings the elders out into the, a little further away into a camp, to a rock, and then says to them, now I'm going to go stand on the rock. When I do, you strike the rock and watch what happens. And, Moses well, strikes the rock with the staff and life comes, right? Water comes out of this rock. After, like, it's such an odd moment. Why does God stand on the rock? Why not just say, hey, go strike that rock? But he doesn't. He said, like, I'm going to stand on it and then you strike it. And then we're told in 1 Corinthians, and that rock was Christ. That is to say that what we have in Exodus 17 is this picture of Golgotha. We have this picture of the cross where God comes and and stands here and lets himself be struck by his own sinful creatures who deserve to be struck. And when he is struck for them, water gushes out. It's, it's an amazing picture of the gospel. And and uh, Paul is telling us here, the rock was Christ. They struck the rock, the rock was Christ, and they drank of it. Jesus comes in John chapter 6, and he says, I'm the manna. Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, they died, but I am the true bread from heaven. So all these connections that, uh, that uh, Paul is making for the Israelites. And I think there's all kinds of important things. We could talk about this in Sunday school, but Paul is also telling us here how to read our Old Testaments. Do you read the Old Testament this way? Do you you see manna coming down from heaven and say, oh, Christ? Do you see water gushing out of rock and go, oh, Christ? Do you see Moses leading them through the Red Sea and say, oh, Christ? Paul is actually giving us a wonderful lesson here on how to read our Old Testaments. But what he's doing here for the Corinthians is identifying them with us. Don't say John the Baptist said to his... Don't say to yourselves, oh, we have Abraham as our father. He can raise up sons of Abraham from stones. Now Paul's saying to the Corinthians, don't say, well, we're baptized. Yeah, they were baptized too. Yeah, but we we eat the heavenly gift. I mean, we're going to sit around. We've been invited to the Lord's table. Hey, they eat the heavenly gift as well. Sure, it was an Old Testament version, but they ate of it as well. That is to say, don't forget, Israel was also in a covenant with God. Yes, you are the special chosen people of God, Corinthians. Affirmation. You are the special chosen beloved people of God. So were they. So were they. So he's challenging us here because then you get the very hard verse, verse five. But with most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. And here, Paul, again, now is going to turn to the warning. Okay, so we have this identification. So what we see of them, we can learn. Now, and again, we'll talk more about this in Sunday school. We will have Sunday school today. And that is to say, when we read our Old Testament, we can't ever just take the Old Testament and apply it directly to me. I always have to take the Old Testament, bring it through the prism of Christ, and then let it refract out and then apply it to me. You can't just take Old Testament texts and apply them directly to you. Because of Jesus. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And therefore, anything we take from the Old Testament, we have to bring through him and then let it refract and then apply it. So we have to be careful here. But one thing we're learning here is that when God enters into a covenant with his people, and in baptism, what you've done, when you were baptized, what you've done is you've entered into a covenant with God, like marriage. Remember, that's the illustration I've used when I talk about your baptisms. I use marriage. Sure, you might have loved each other before you got married, but marriage sealed the deal and made it legal. You leave your, your engaged partner before you get married, there's no legal complications, there's no who gets this, who gets that. It's it's You work it out, there's no legality to it. You stand before that minister and say, I do. And he says, what God hath joined together, let no man tear asunder." It's legal. There is now a ring on a finger. There are covenant obligations. Now you decide to split. Okay, you get 50% of this. You get that. Who gets this? It's legal now. And when you were baptized, sure, you might have loved God before. You just, you know, emotional about the gifts of his salvation. But when you became baptized, it became legal. It was like a ring on the finger. You entered into a covenant with God that has wonderful privileges and also has obligations. And in this covenant, and really what you're going to do today when you partake of the Lord's Supper is renew that covenant. You're going to say, yes, again, I'm all in. Yes, I'm, I'm committed to this. That's what you're doing as you enjoy the benefits. In the covenant now, when you cross through the Red Sea, on your way to the Jordan, on your way to the promised land, this wilderness that you are in, and I am in, the time between our initial conversion and deaths. Okay, so think of Egypt as slavery to sin, coming through the Red Sea, your conversion, and now out into the wilderness on your way to the promised land, which is the new creation. This period in the wilderness is a period of trial, a period of hostility, they gotta fight the Amalekites. We read that in, in, in uh in uh Exodus 17. It's a place of grumbling, a place of want, a place sometimes you feel God forsaken, other times God's just so near you can't believe it. He's like a pillar of fire, You're like a tabernacle just right there in your midst. It's a place of law and commandments, it's a place of working out your salvation with fear and trembling. And that's where you and I are right now. And Paul is giving us warnings. Be careful. You cannot just slide it into cruise control and let go and let God and say, that's okay. It doesn't matter. We'll just end up in the promised land. And hey, I'm getting sick of this manna. Doesn't work that way. Israel tried that. And look what happened. But with many of them, God was not well pleased. And hence now the warning. Verse 6. Now these things became our examples. To the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they did. Brothers and sisters, we must take our Christian life seriously. Don't be like them. Look at them. God did not let them into the promised land. Many of them. Most of them. So now he gives us the specifics and he kind of jogs us through some of the Old Testament stories in the wilderness. And do not become idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And that's the story of Israel at the base of Mount Sinai when Moses goes up to, to get the law and then immediately down at the bottom of the mountain they are making a golden calf and they're dancing and they're partying and they're feasting and they're celebrating gods like the gods of the Egyptians. And do not do that. Do not become an idolater. Now, again, it looks cartoonish in the Old Testament. So much of the Old Testament is cartoonish. And I'm not saying that in a sarcastic, mocking way of the Old Testament. I'm just saying the Old Testament is like a children's book. It's like, it's meant to be big, bright, colorful pictures. Like, see that? Don't do that. So here you've got, they make a golden calf and get naked and drunk and they're dancing around it and celebrating. It's like, boys and girls, do you see that? That's bad. Now, most of you are probably not in jeopardy of doing that. But again, the Old Testament is where you get the big picture book. You get a big red dog, you know Clifford, who comes and does stuff, and you see it done through Clifford. And you, you know, most of us are not, you know, most of us are not in jeopardy of of having a big red dog that makes a mess of things or or Curious George. But the point is, it's like here's a cartoon, and again, these things happen in the Old Testament. So I'm not talking down the Old Testament. I'm using a metaphor to say the Old Testament is like a children's picture book. These issues are put in big, bright colors so the teacher can read it and say, oh, and they made a golden calf and they got naked and they danced and drunk and they said, hero Israel is our God. Children, do you see that? Do you see how they did that, children? See how they got naked and danced around the, the golden calf? Do you see we shouldn't do that? We shouldn't do that. <laughs> okay, this is how my elementary teachers teach. That's how you teach children. And we, like little children in the Old Testament, get to see these big glaring pictures and go, wow, that's bad. But then we have, now we're, we're grown-ups. Right, we're mature. We're in, the old, we're in the new covenant. What does idolatry look for you? It probably does not look like a golden calf and you turning in your earrings to be melted down so you could dance around and say, that's probably not how you're doing it. But where is the idolatry you and I are in danger of? Where are our idols? Where are the things we tend to credit with our salvation? And maybe I don't even mean here salvation capital S unto glory, but just your health, wealth and well-being. What are you trusting in for your safety and security? What are you leaning on for your significance and your meaning? What are you giving credit to for your success? Or what are you angry about regarding your failures? Who are you blaming? Idolatry looks different for grown-ups than it does for kids. And he's telling the Corinthians, but you need to see the connection. Don't do what they did. It looks so obvious when you look at them. You're like, if I was there, I would never have done that. Okay, fine. Because here you can see the little kids doing their silly things. But it looks more sophisticated when it's act, when it's grown-up idolatry. So maybe Maybe your idolatry is eating meat sacrificed to idols. It's just meat, you know. Sure, it's destroying my brother's faith, but it's just meat. He's got to get over it, you know. But I'm not giving up my rights. More sophisticated idolatry. Then he goes on to the next thing. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. And here you have it when, when, when uh, Balaam is and Balak are trying to get the destroy the people of God, and they, you know, remember Balaam's ass won't do it because God is stopping them. and and so Balaam decides, okay, fine, we we can't, I can't go curse the people, but what we can do is introduce them to pagan women, and then watch what happens, and God will curse them. That's exactly what happens. They can't control themselves; they engage in sexual immorality, and then twenty three thousand of them uh, are struck dead there in the wilderness. Don't do that. Again, it's a big, bold issue, big, bold picture. What does sexual immorality, was infidelity look like in our grown-up culture? Sometimes it can be also cartoonish, but sometimes not. Sometimes it gets more nuanced. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. You know that story with the bronze serpent in Numbers twenty-one. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Again, this whining and grumbling and complaining of which at least I've already confessed is is natural to me. It's so again, it's so silly to hear them go. We want to go back to Egypt where there were leeks and onions and and you're like, are you ridiculous? What are you nuts? Like you, you were slaves there. They were killing your firstborn. You're killing your children, the babies. I mean, they they were whipping you. You're making, you know, bricks without straw and all. Like you want to go, like you think that's, and we look at that and we go, "Ah, those ridiculous people. But as I already said to us today, every time we sin, essentially we're doing that. Like sin is destructive. It's cancerous. It's toxic. Yet we go back like a dog to its vomit thinking it's good for us, thinking it will satisfy us, we're no different than them. So be warned, be warned. That's a dangerous thing to want to do because at some point you have to say, "Oh, you, you want to go back to Egypt?" Okay. Fine. You're not going in the you're not going in the promised land. Don't be like that," he warns them. Now he comes back in verse 11 now again, so he kind of sandwiches in the examples with here's why these things happen. Now, all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the age has come. Like, we are in a radically different spot than they were. We're on the other side of the cross. We have one foot in new creation. In some sense, the promised land has come to us already. How much more? Remember what Peter said in our word of exhortation, 1 Peter 1? We have what prophets longed to see. They couldn't see into the mist. They were prophesying about things they couldn't see. Just their vision went into the fog. Oh, how badly they wanted to see the things they were prophesying about. And Peter says, yeah, that's what you're enjoying. You're actually getting the things the prophets longed for. The inheritance they spoke of has already come to you. How much more should we turn our backs on Egypt and just run to the promised land? How much less should we be tempted by idolatry? How much less should we be tempted by immorality and the lust of the flesh and the things of this life? How much more should we be yearning? Like Paul, to live is Christ, to die is gain. How much more should that be true of us? Because we've already tasted it. We're living in it. The sun is just, you know, the the Old Testament, it was darkness and they they were told the sun was going to come up. But you and I live in the day when the first beams of light are coming over the horizon. Christ is risen from the dead and we know it's there. It's right there. We can taste it. How much more ought we to focus in and run to that? So look at them, he's saying. They're examples, but it's actually more severe for us. It's not less severe. So, verse 12, therefore, here he comes to the exhortation. Therefore, what do you do with this? Okay, you beware. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So here's what you do with this sermon today. You beware. You get this in your consciousness. You remember that you are on a hard road from Egypt to the promised land. You're in the wilderness and you therefore you know what to expect. You're not surprised when the Amalekites attack you. You're not surprised when your culture turns against you. I know it drives us nuts, <laughs> drives me nuts. But we should not be surprised. You should not be surprised when you find yourselves in want. And and you you need God to bring bread out of heaven, or you're gonna starve to death. There's no other way around it. You know, it's like, so we feel that kind of nothing in my hands, I bring this, you know. We're, not, we're and, and we're not surprised when when temptations come to us. This is the place of temptation. Remember, Jesus went out into the wilderness to be tempted, and so yeah, no surprise that the temptation of the women and f- we're using that because the the sexual immorality. But but use that as a, again a cartoon for any number of temptations toward idolatry, toward compromise, to thinking like the pagan worlds around us. This, this is what happens in the wilderness. This is the place where you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So what do you do with it? Take heed. Do not be self-confident. You who think you stand, take heed lest you fall. And then we can flip it around then. Okay, so t- what does taking heed mean? Realize that you can fall. You're no better than those Israelites who are dancing naked around the golden calf getting drunk. You're no different than those, the big sex orgy that's happening with Balaam's prostitutes. Don't, don't, don't look at the cartoon and go, <laughs> no, look at those people. You're no better than the whiners grumbling against God after they just saw miracles and then grumbling, against, yeah, but why don't we have more bread? Yeah, but what are we, how are we supposed to drink it? How are we, we're thirsty now. I mean, it's it's cartoonish. It looks ridiculous. Yeah, we do it all the time. And this text is telling us to raise the antenna to recognize, hear yourselves. I need to hear myself. I need to see myself by looking at these characters and recognizing, hmm, I'm in jeopardy of that. And then in humility in humility coming back before the lord and i see we have in in uh mark chose uh, appropriately uh you know him uh, 421 rock of ages right because in that hymn the the humility comes you know nothing in my hand i bring simply to thy cross i cling. naked come to thee for dress helpless look to thee for grace foul i to thy fountain fly wash me savior or i die like that is a safe attitude. That's an attitude which is bringing us back to the cross, back to the cross, back to the cross. And the Corinthians have their eyes on all kinds of other things. They have their eyes on their privilege. They have their eyes on sexuality. They have their eyes on their rights. That's why they're suing each other. They have their eyes on teachers and reputation for themselves. they got their eyes on everything but Jesus. And Paul's saying, be warned. Take heed, you who think you stand, lest you fall. It's a dangerous thing to do. Get your eyes back on that rock that follows you, that was struck for you so that you could drink. Be in awe of that, the bread that comes down out of heaven for you so that you can eat. Delight in that. Keep your eyes fixed on that. And praise God, we have communion today. Because the purpose, one purpose of the Lord's Supper is to do that. Say, hey, look here. Look here. Come to this table and eat. Look here, get your eyes here. So brothers and sisters, let us take heed this morning. He gives us an encouragement at the end. No temptation has overtaken you. So he doesn't he doesn't just say, "Hey guys, good luck with that." No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. So we're all in this together. No none of you can go, "Yeah, but I'm really getting tempted." No, no, no. We're all getting tempted with things that are common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear. God does not leave you alone in this. Don't forget, he doesn't send them out into the wilderness and say, catch you guys on the other side, hope you make it. He's with them. He's with them in the wilderness. He's with them to discipline them. He's with them to provide for them. He's with them to win battles for them. Think about the way they won the battle with the Amalekites. Moses raises his arms. Okay, that tells you it's not Israel winning this battle. Okay? When your strategy is Moses, get Moses' hands up higher so we can win, the point is God will defeat the Amalekites. God will provide the bread. God will sustain you. He will travel with you. And even when you sin. He will forgive you. There's a whole sacrificial system built right into the tabernacle. He's got it all covered. The way of escape is there for you. Where are you looking? Where are you looking? And my encouragement to you, my challenge to you, and bouncing off of you back to me, is the exhortation to fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ and in humility trust in him. That indeed we might make it safe home into glory on that day. Let's pray. Father, we confess our weakness. We don't look with uh, with a smirk on the sins of the Israelites, for they are our fathers. And we don't mock the sins of our fathers. While on the one hand we can chuckle at the cartoonish nature of them, it only exposes the, the sophistication of our idolatries, of our sins but we are no better. And so, Father, we, like they, need your grace to be with us, to forgive us, to cleanse us, and to bring us home. Keep our eyes fixed on your Son, we pray, for we ask it in his name. Amen.